Welcome back to the Raising Helmets podcast. I'm Kyle, joined by award-winning author Carrie Helmick. Hello, everybody. Carrie was published in a very real journal, magazine? Yep. Herald? A UK magazine. British. Right. So it's called the Catholic Herald. And um, our friend Zach Mabry works for them. And after a uh, after our podcast a couple episodes ago about school lunch debts, he reached out to me and was and said, "Hey, you should consider writing about this and pitching it to the Catholic Herald." And so I worked on a piece, and I'm really proud of how it came out. But I do not want to neglect to say that Kyle was hugely important to that writing process he carved out time for me to write he took the kids to the park and stuff so I'd have quiet time he bugged me to keep working on it when I was getting lazy and distracted by twitter and he did the first round of edits for me which made the piece so much better than it would have been otherwise so I really appreciated that that's very sweet of you to say but certainly that was just you know Minimum spousal duties. (laughs) I would not say minimum. But you can look for it on the Catholic Herald website. It's called um, There's No Excuse for Hungry School Children. There's No Excuse to Not Feed School Children. Something like that. (laughs) We'll have a link in the description. There we go. That'll be the easy way to listen or to read it. Right. Everybody click on it. and. Right. So... We've got to show them that I'm like their highest engagement driver of exactly. all time. That's that's the goal here. Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. I think so. <laughs> uh, I'm really proud the piece came out really good. One thing that I was particularly uh, pleased with, argument wise, was tying it to, to how I tied in school lunch debts to the idea that children are not property, and to go after parents and say. You know, oh, it's it's shameful that you can't um, can't come up with the nickels and dimes to buy these lunches, and we're gonna we're gonna blame you and threaten you with um, taking you to dependency court and potentially even taking your kids away, like the one school did. And um, my analysis was basically like, look, this is treating parents like um, property owners that are being judged on whether or not they're they're fit to finance the upkeep of and loans associated with this piece of property not like their children are also members of our society that we have an obligation toward and i I think it came out really well it definitely did you drove home some pretty powerful language there made some good points yeah i tied it to some some broader debates that are really um you know really important in this day and age like abortion and whether or not it's okay for kids to make noise on airplanes right the two primary <laughs> issues dividing america but it's i mean it's that was what i liked most about your piece i think is that this is part of a larger discussion about do we just leave kids out in the cold and or do we support families more more importantly right i think um a lot of people seem to think that the uh the key quote from it was something like, the most important question isn't, you know, how much money do you need to have in order for us to think you're a fit parent and deserve to have kids? It's more important to ask ourselves as society, what do fair families need to raise children with dignity? So there, there's the full quote. So everybody keep reading it. <laughs> keep reading it over and over. Over and over, as many times as you can. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie's going to be 
the number one published author. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family. Send it to your boss. Tell tell your dentist about it while he tries to get you to shut up because his hands are in your mouth. (laughs) Yeah. I very much, or send a postcard to your dentist telling them to read it. Oh, I like that. Then you don't have to go to the dentist. (laughs) I very unironically believe that you are going to become an author who publishes a lot of stuff that is extremely good. Oh, thank you. That's a lot of fun. I've been I've been trying to think what I would write about. Um, nervous about a sophomore slump, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, podcast listeners, sound off what I should write about next. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, and then you were on the Roman Circus podcast. I that was. was that was really fun. I'm hopefully going to record again with them soon because we got to about half of the material that I had wanted to cover with them. But we talked about why Catholic... Uh, Catholicism is incompatible with liberalism. So a little something for everybody to enjoy or get mad about. Right. There. <laughs> That's your brand. And then it hasn't actually been that long since our last podcast, so we don't have a ton of kid updates. I have one discovery that I made just today when I was on the toilet mm-hmm. and Joseph was getting in my way, which is that if you stand him up and point him in a direction that is away from you, he will just instinctively start toddling away <laughs> because he walks. <laughs> And he will get at least like six feet before he realizes that he's leaving you. It's and like, then we'll I've turn made around a and huge mistake. <laughs> yes. Which that can buy you enough time in this particular instance to, um, uh, you know. Toilet parenting is really, yeah, really one of the most difficult hurdles. <laughs> it's, you know, it's messy, but there's a dignity to it. I have no comment, no further comment. I had kind of a cute story today, which is that. You know, as probably a lot of you know, Kyle works from home. Sometimes. Yeah. He he typically will work on, on the couch out here and get stuff done while I take the boys out of the house or, you know, get work done or whatever. But if he has a conference call or something like that, he'll he'll go somewhere quiet and he'll go on his phone call. And then when he comes out, I'll say, oh, hey, how'd your phone call go? You know, just friendly conversation. And today, Rory grabbed this little remote for the lights in his room. And he started talking on it, and he was talking to, he was like, Mom, I have a phone call with Daddy. And so he, he, he put it up to his ear and was like, Daddy, um, I love you, and I know because there's a heart, and yeah, okay, yeah, okay, bye. And then I said, how did your phone call go? And he was like, it went pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All this time, Kyle was, I think, at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, um, but Rory is as good as ever at imitating our behaviors. Yeah. That reminds me of way back when he was just starting to talk and he would mm-hmm. pretend to answer the phone and say, Kyle Helmick. Oh yeah. He heard me say it. And he had no idea what Kyle Helmick meant yet. Or even he Kyle. was just like, this is what you say when you answer the phone. A, yeah. Joseph um, will put phones and remotes and um, rectangular ish things up to his ear and babble into them. It's really cute. It's also funny to me that he's picked up on that behavior because we text way more than we talk on the phone. Yeah. But they don't pretend to text. And part of it is that, like, (laughs) we pretend when we have phones, we put them up to our ear as the thing that we are pretending to do when we are playing with our kids, Mm -hmm. even though that's atypical from how we actually use our phones. Yeah. It's weird because they're learning an imitation from an imitation. Yeah. Right. That is funky. Yeah. I also wanted to briefly point out that um, after, like, two and a half years, we finally decided to go through the effort of weaning Rory off of his pacifier mm. and that it took like one day and no crying or screaming. I'm, mm, there was a little wailing. A little it was kind of sad and pathetic. I felt okay. bad for him. But it was like once, right? It really did. It took way shorter. It was way 
more painless than I expected it to be. So just a welcome surprise there. Like sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you just win. Sometimes so Joseph, yeah, Joseph just kicked the pacifier. He really liked it. And then he was maybe like seven months old or something. I think younger than that, yeah. And you just stopped liking it. Whereas Rory yeah. was going real strong at nearly three years old. Right. And we were, you know, there's the, you cut the nipple off the pacifier, which Rory just... I think he'd he go be like, berserk, no. berserk that someone had broken his pacifier. That would be worse than taking it away. Definitely. And there's like, they traded in for a cool toy or something like that. And you, I didn't that, feel good about any of the ideas. I really I don't feel good about that because then like the kid has buyer's remorse and I do not want my toddler experiencing buyer's remorse. Yeah, definitely. Right? That's just like, you feel There's guilty. no need to make it like yeah. an economic exchange or whatever. Yeah. You're just um, too old for a pacifier now. Yeah. I would like Roy to think for as long as possible that toys just are gifted or appear. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll explain the economy. We want to keep him innocent of the the evils of economics as long as possible. That'll be our next piece. <laughs> Why I'm hiding the free market from my child. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess the other news about the boys is that we tried a new babysitter recently because I'm back at work. Mm-hmm. And it went really, really well. They barely noticed that I left, which is surprising because we met her at, like, a a friend's house at a fairly large event. So it wasn't like they really knew who she was. But she got right down on the floor with them. They started playing with her. She's awesome. She took them to the park. She colored with the boys. She got Joseph down for two naps. She just, it sounds like the whole day went beautifully. So I'm really excited and I'm proud of the boys for doing well for her. She said they were really, really good and she loves them. She Didn't she say that Rory explained to her what Joseph was saying? Oh yeah. Rory does this to me too, but he, he will narrate Joseph's inner monologue. Yeah. He'll be like, mom, Joseph is thinking that that, Mama, I would really like you to put more milk in my bottle right now. And he's always, <laughs> it's always like plausible stuff, right? Sometimes I wouldn't say that. There's a heavy amount of projecting. Yeah. <laughs> but it is very sweet. I mean, even if it's slightly manipulative of both us and Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Rory is really, really excited to start preschool. He's going to be in the yellow class, and I'm going to be his teacher. So he will start school on September 12th, which is a couple weeks from now. And I've gone back to work basically getting my classroom set up. And I'm having so much fun being back at work with my coworkers who I love. And right now the task is to get the classroom cleaned up from summer camp, which is always like a tornado through the school. And I'm having a lot of fun doing the very specific cosmetic decorative things like arranging all of the plants on the windowsill just so and ignoring the fact that there's like an enormous pile of cardboard boxes in our art studio (laughs) and like there's things that desperately need scrubbing out but we're getting work done too in fact the other night um all of some of my coworkers got together and had our school atelista which is the reggio Emilia philosophies position um in the school basically the art teacher and she taught us all how to do gesture drawings and let us play with charcoal and doing um she had us doing self-portraits with mirrors which is something we have all the kids do in our school every year and then when they graduate from our program after two or three years then we line up their self-portraits and you can see how their how their skills and their self-perception have developed and it's very cool and we thought hey if we're asking the kids to do this 
we should be willing to do it ourselves. So that's what that's what my work has been. I love my job so much. It is extremely good. That is <laughs> superb employment. Yeah, my coworkers don't even care if I bring the boys in to like do work, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, they know you really pull your share. I really try, and they they all absolutely do too. Yeah. You've got a good team over there. Yeah. Some of them are parents. Some of them are really understanding and, and will absolutely be like, hey, I don't have to find a babysitter. So I'm totally willing to like schedule around your weird hours. And yeah. Anyway. Uh, we have a few docket items today. We do. Um, oh, first, I just want to say that we are drinking our house cocktail, which is a splash of Irish whiskey with ginger ale and a squeeze of lime. And it's very good. It is extremely good. So I have I have an item about Marion Stokes. Uh, she's a she was a civil rights demonstrator, activist, librarian. Uh, seems like a really great lady. In 1977, something happened. I'm having trouble seeing what it was, but she had this overwhelming urge to record television, mm-hmm. and was afraid that there was all of this content coming out that we would lose and we would want it someday, especially news. Mm-hmm. And so nonstop, she would record Fox, MSNBC, CNN, C-SPAN, CNBC, starting in 1977. She would have like six tape recorders going all at the same time. And she recorded basically all those channels until her death in 2012. That cannot have been a cheap endeavor. No, it was uh, over 71 thousand vhs and betamax tapes oh my goodness and they were all stacked in her home and then eventually rented storage space that's like a new level of hoarding well yeah so yes imagine how pleased she would be to learn about the cloud right right (laughs) so um this is the largest known collection of television in existence as far Mm -hmm. as anybody knows her family her she and her husband would run around to their different tape recorders to flip them out every like six hours mm-hmm. and like they would time outings around being available in six hours right tapes uh she died in 2012 her estate gifted the the legacy to the internet archive uh is that a specific organization or yeah. do they just say please put this on the internet i think so i think the internet archive is actually where we store these podcasts yeah it is Okay. Yeah, it's a free online storage system that doesn't work for any particular reason. Like, I don't think they have ads. I think they just do donations like Wikipedia, mm-hmm. but it's a huge success. Right. So now, so basically, they're public now. Yeah. And they're digitizing the entire collection, which will cost thousands of dollars, but is mostly volunteers and, mm-hmm. and donations. Definitely um, seems worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like so much news is on that. Mm-hmm. A lot of that news is just lost or not really in an organization. I hadn't really thought about that before. Like, obviously, news organizations now are cataloging their content, right? Probably, yeah. To some extent. I honestly have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Next on the docket, I have a piece about a character previously discussed on this podcast, James Holtzhauer. The Jeopardy guy. Jeopardy champion. So, do you know who Andrew Luck is? Yes. Okay. Why don't you tell everybody? (laughs) So Andrew Luck is around 29 years old. He was a star football player for, I think, the Colts. College ball, right? No, professional. NFL. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I have no idea. And then just before the season started, I think a couple weeks ago, he said he is retiring. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason he stated was be, either because of an injury or because of a risk of re-injury or something like that. Um, and he basically left his team uh, high and dry to some extent because he waited so long to announce he was retiring. And so there's like the segment of people who are pissed off because he, you know, kind of messed up his team. And then there's the kind of people who are saying, look, the dude just didn't feel physically safe competing mm-hmm. NFL is a barbaric sport and he should absolutely quit. He has enough money to last in the rest of his life. Oh yeah. This is one of the podcast's most controversial takes is that football is awful and nobody should play it. Right. So I'm definitely on that, that side of it. I mean, flag football is, you know, one thing. Right. But high school, college ball, and it's the NFL. gladiatorial yeah. and right. It causes yeah. physical injuries to people. Yeah. For entertainment. Anyway, we fun could, and normal. <laughs> we could go on much further about that issue. But that is basically Andrew Luck. This is one of the few areas of football I actually understand. Right, because everybody tweeted about it. You can't listen to a podcast about it today? Oh. I can't remember. Interesting. Oh, yeah. It was on uh, Clearly Speaking. They explained it. Oh, gotcha. Father Shrapa had a great bit where he explained football in terms of hockey to Father (laughs) uh, Harrison, who's Canadian. Okay. Well, looking forward to that. Here's how Andrew Luck is connected to James Holtzauer. Okay. Okay. So James Holtzauer was on Jeopardy for 32 games, winning a total of $2,464,216, nearly $75,000 per episode, broke lots of records. Anyway, he tweeted after Andrew Luck retired the following. This is from James Holtower on Twitter. I hope to be as brave as Andrew Luck one day. Imagine reaching the pinnacle of the only job you've ever trained for, finding no joy in it, and having the guts to do the right thing for yourself, even though millions of fans will hate you for it. Which many are interpreting to mean that he threw Jeopardy. That he... Oh, wow. No. So, this narrative is... It's part of the heart of of like Christian teaching, right? That you can get to the top of what the world says is the best, all the money, all the fame, and find that it's empty and not as fulfilling as you'd hoped it would be, right? And that the right thing to do for yourself and for your soul is to step back for it. However, if he did intend that, that's pretty mean to librarian Emma Betcher, who, as of now, probably believes that she actually fair and square one against James Holtzauer. Yeah. And now he may be hinting that he decided it wasn't the right thing for himself or the fans. And even though, you know, a lot of people were sad or whatever, he decided to step down. Okay. That is, that is spicy, man. Right. Well, this is the funny thing to me is that it's being spun as he was inspired by Andrew Luck. But chronologically, that doesn't make sense because he would have had to, like, yeah. throw Jeopardy after Andrew Luck retired. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a long time ago. Right. So he claims he claims to, like, currently be inspired by yeah. Andrew Luck and think that he made a tough but right choice. But definitely the way he worded it, he seemed to be alluding to his own uh, loss of glory. So anyway, I just thought that was a fun yeah. little bit for the fans who liked our Jeopardy yeah. content. Which was like probably half of our base. It was very enthusiastic about the Jeopardy content. Yeah, we haven't even watched Jeopardy. No, we were only in it for this Holtzhauser guy. Yeah. Well, we were also trying to get Pushing Daisies done before the end of our 
That's true. Pushing, pushing Daisies is so good. It. Yeah, everybody watched that. We the last, well, all right. Okay, that's yes. a whole other thing. <laughs> Let's talk about the last episode of Pushing Daisies. I have another subject. This is actually on a docket, the, mm-hmm. the lawsuit against Popeye's. How much do you know about the current Popeyes controversy? Okay, so I know for some reason everyone was tweeting about Popeyes and comparing them to Mm Chick-fil-A. I really don't know how that started. Okay, so it started in the just the silliest way possible. See, I like the take that Popeyes is like subtly papist because the name spells (laughs) Popeyes. That's amazing. Anyway. So how it started was Chick-fil-A. So Popeye's announces they have a chicken sandwich now. And my first thought is, they're, I, I don't Wait. Think I've, right. I don't think I've ever eaten a Popeye's. I would assume that the chicken place would have a chicken sandwich. Yeah. Isn't their whole thing fried chicken? Right. So maybe it's a new kind of chicken sandwich? I don't know. Yeah. I've never eaten at Popeye's. I don't know. So, so Chick-fil-A then makes the outrageous claim that, you know, good for you, Popeye's, but we still have the original chicken sandwich, which also always seemed sketchy to me like i do not think that chick-fil-a was the one who said let's make a chicken what if sandwich. we put fried chicken but then added bread <laughs> and then like popeye's replied with you okay or something like that something snarky which was so the whole thing is dumb right mm-hmm. but then it turned into this so internet. it was a brand war yeah it was a brand war right <laughs> silence all brand. of which are bad <laughs> yeah um, which spawned like tens of millions of dollars of free advertising for Popeyes. Right, it's everybody battles out like what yeah. who actually has. Yes, right. and as opposed to IHOP, Popeyes wasn't actually trying too hard, so I guess they win this one. Anyway, point is, all of a sudden, Popeyes across the nation are out of chicken sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that would make sense if they'd never had one before, but I honestly would have been shocked previously to find that they had no chicken sandwich. Yeah, it's all very weird. If somebody knows what's going on, we'll have you on our podcast to explain it. <laughs> so, this dude sues... Whoever runs the Popeye's Twitter account, if you're hearing if this. You're hearing... <laughs> this dude files a complaint against Popeye's, okay? Mm-hmm. Because he showed up to a because Popeye's trying to buy the sandwich, and it was sold out. It's more complicated than that. Oh. A little bit. All right, so, buckle, buckle up, everybody. So, first of all, he didn't just show up at one Popeye's, okay? He showed up at several Popeye's. Looking for the chicken sandwich. So a lot of gas money went into this, right? Also, like, his tire Ugh. burst or something. Dude needs a job. Well, let's not judge him too quickly. So, like, his tire popped while he was on the way. And he got, like, he, like, he ran over a curb or something. You know, like you do when you're trying to go to several Popeye's restaurants. So damage to his car. Wait, what? He included that in his lawsuit? Yeah, every little bit helps. Uh, oh, no. So he was traveling on Highway 58. The tire on his car blew, and he cracked a $1,500 rim. So, his rim cracked. That's a lot of money if you have a very expensive rim. I still don't see why that's Popeye's fault. Okay, so you need to set aside whether this is a good claim for a second. <laughs> and just enjoy the fact that this guy, probably pro se, is just going crazy. Right. All right, there's more. Second, when he realized he wasn't going to be able to get it. Popeye's chicken sandwich, he did what anybody does, and he went on Craigslist, and he found a listing that said, for $20 plus the price of the sandwich, come to my Popeye's. I am a Popeye's employee. I have Popeye's hiding in the back, extra chicken sandwiches. I will give you one for 20 bucks plus the cost of the sandwich. So he goes to this Popeye's location, parks out in the back. Employee comes out, takes his 25 bucks, walks back into the restaurant, Never comes out again. Right, obviously. <laughs> so he's been scammed by a Popeye's employee, 
right? Mm-hmm. So there's what would not technically be, a, well, there's legal analysis that goes into whether or not this employee was acting as an agency, agent of the company. An argument can be made. I'm sure he will make that argument. Third, he was embarrassed in front of his friends. And he is also experiencing emotional distress in addition to the embarrassment because he can only think about this chicken sandwich, which he's obsessed with. And he believes, Sounds rough. he believes there is false advertising saying we all have chicken sandwiches at all our locations when none of the locations have chicken sandwiches. He's suing Popeyes for guess how much? Two million dollars. That's what I would think. Anytime you hear the words emotional distress, mm-hmm. at least you just a million think dollars. two million dollars. The dude's suing for five grand. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> He's like someone. So someone sits down with him and says, OK, so you should file a complaint. And he goes, yes. And they go, OK, think big. Whole bunch of money. Big pockets. Just made a bunch of money off the chicken sandwich. He goes, yes, the largest number I can think of. <laughs> and files his complaint for five grand. Yeah, no, I think he probably wanted to sound reasonable. you got to respect it. He has integrity. <laughs> he, he has a form of integrity. All right, so gas money, you figure maybe 20 bucks. I don't think we need to do all the math here. <laughs> I, think, I think we can just, you know. Well, the rim, a lot of the math has been done for us already. There's the rim, right, okay. there's the blown tire. Yeah, well, you can't quantify embarrassment. I'm, well, he apparently did. I guess that's true. Yeah, at approximately under $4,000. It seems like he doesn't really value his feelings all that much. I mean, he invests them in something as cheap and inexpensive as a Popeye sandwich, and then when, you know, it fails to merge and fulfill him, he he names a price of $5,000, you know? I just think he probably needs a little bit. What this guy probably needs is a lot more self-esteem. Okay. So you're going to call him up and ask him to amend his complaint. Tell him you've got a lawyer. No, I think I think he should sit down with you know you know who doesn't have anything to do right now is Marianne Williamson. So I feel like I feel like this guy should sit down with her and maybe she could help him heal this dark psychic force oh that's dragging him down. Mm-hmm. You're right. The, the Popeyes yeah. chicken sandwich it has brought only chaos and evil to our country. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned. You know who has really good chicken is Shake Shack. I was there right. today, and yeah, I ate their nugs. chicken nugs, and right. they were so good. You know, I wasn't going to out you on the podcast, but now that you've said that, I will not edit it out, and you will incur the wrath of both fathers, Shrapa and... You know what? That's fine. Watch. And you know what? I ate them with ketchup, and I Did liked really? it. <laughs> okay. You know, it was nice knowing you. I enjoyed being married to you. You're not going to make it through this one. Right. Well... I'm not sorry. I tried the spicy nugs. Didn't really care for them. Shake Shack chicken nuggets is where it's at. All right. What? Is that Father Anthony outside the door? (laughs) No, don't come in. (laughs) There's a mass needing to be said somewhere. (laughs) Only known way to distract Father Anthony. (laughs) Quick, someone is enjoying hockey in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm done. Can you say dada? No, no, no.